all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on here. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. All right, welcome to another episode of Golf Drinking and Life. My name is Colin McKern. I'm a PGA professional and a Callaway staff member here in Mobile, Alabama. I'm here with my brother, Corey McKern. He's a professional opera singer and a professor at the University of West Florida. Corey? Hey, how's it going, man? Good. What's going on? Not much. Uh, that introduction, I always like it. Uh, opera singer, professor, I'm surely not any of those fancy things, but I appreciate the uh, intro. I feel like I get tongue twisted on your intro every time, and it's not because I don't know what you do, but I think it's because I go straight from professional opera singer to professor, and my mind just can't handle those two words in the same Well, sentence. let's be honest. Both of those things, it sounds like I'm just padding my resume, like it's a made-up job because, you know, it sounds fake. Well, I told you you didn't have to tell everybody that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> don't let all your deepest, dark secrets out on this. Not yet. Right. So here we are, episode number 13. Um, I'd like to thank all our listeners. We are now in 17 countries. Um, India is on board as of today. We're in 322 cities. Uh, please continue to share and spread. You can follow me on Twitter, at Colin McKern, or you can email the show, golfdrinkinglife at gmail.com. Um, as we always do, I want to thank all the people who shared their personal stories and, and their struggles. Um, it's always good to hear from people and um, to see how many um, people this affliction um, affects. So um, for those of you who don't know my story, I am now 15 months sober after nearly dying last year from a, uh, from a severe cirrhosis of the liver. Um, doing much better now. If you, if this is your first time on our podcast, you want to check out episode one first. It kind of sets up everything, and I think that all the episodes from there pretty much stand on their own. So uh, we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, pretty much wherever you um, get your podcast from. Um, I want to do a little shout out today to Marietta, Georgia, and Brentwood, Tennessee. They are third and fourth in downloads, respectively, behind Mobile and Birmingham. Uh, Pensacola is right there in fifth, Corey, just to let you know. Okay, good. So you are representing. Um, today, I want to give a shout out to uh, Kevin Rogers, our stepbrother we grew up with. He's one of our uh, uh, also Oak Mountain staff members. As we were growing up, we've talked about working at Oak Mountain State Park in Birmingham. Kevin um, we were, uh, trading, uh, text messages the last couple of days. And, um, I don't know why my mind went to this, but, um, for, for some reason I started thinking about, um, um, Kevin was one of the people that I remember when, when Stone Temple Pilots got popular when we were in college. I know I'm going off on a tangent already, you know, Stone Temple Pilots came right on the heels of, Nirvana and Pearl Jam. All this was going on in about 1991, right when I was a freshman in college. And Stone Temple Pilots' first album was very successful, but it was still one of those things where you're kind of like, oh, okay, they kind of had a cute little first album here. And then Kevin turned me on to their second album, which had Interstate Love Song, among other songs on there. And that's kind of the album that really kicked STP into the next stratosphere with Nirvana and Pearl Jam and bands like that before we got into all the 90s one-hit wonder bands. 
So anyway, a long story. You know, shout out to Kevin he, today. He also commented on the podcast and said it reminds him of sitting in the basement with us in Chandelar, listening to us fuck around in his words. But that made well, me laugh because it that's it, what it's supposed it, to do. It's funny you should say that because Kevin is definitely underrepresented on this podcast. Because first of all, Kevin and I shared a room together until you left for college. So that must have been when I was going into 10th grade. So from 4th grade to 10th grade, Kevin and I spent basically five feet apart. Yeah, so Kevin was Kevin was one year younger than me and two years older than you. Correct. And then second of all, I think that's funny. He was like... Uh, like a great music manager because I remember getting in his brown Nissan Sentra in the early 90s and he showed me a CD and it was that famous blue cover with a baby on it. And he was like, this is this band called Nirvana. I think it's going to be really cool. And I was like, yeah, we'll see. And uh, yeah, I have that memory too. Like we listened to that first Nirvana album in his car. Yeah, Kevin kind of early called a lot of that 90s music, at least for us. Mm-hmm. Sure. Good call in retrospect. Yeah, thanks. Still listen to that. Yeah, pretty much the uh theme music for my life. I still listen to it a lot. So um Right. Um so anyway, went to the uh went to the doctor today for a checkup with the uh with my liver doctor. Um had an ultrasound this morning and he did see something on the ultrasound that he didn't like. He described it as, oh, no. as a dark portion in the lower lobe. So hmm. um, I'm scheduled to get an MRI um, next Wednesday. So for so it probably means nothing, but it means enough that the doctor wanted to get it looked at. Um, just precautionary. I'm waiting for my blood work to come back from today. If it comes back normal, I don't have any symptoms of anything. So hopefully this is just precautionary. Um, you know, these things always make you worry coming off what I came off of. You know, almost a year and a half ago now, but not quite. Um, but nothing to get excited about until it really until we do the tests. So that that's why well, you go to the doctor you, to try to prevent stuff. So you know, when you started saying in the beginning, I've been 15 months sober. Which, by the way, you've been as we joked about last week. You've now been 15 months sober for three months. Congratulations! I know it's um, been a long 15 months sober. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, I feel like I forgot how to count, or I'm in the twilight zone. Yeah, right. You always say in a part of your intro, and then we don't address it. You're like, "Yeah, I almost died of cirrhosis of the liver," and then we're like talking about golf. But you know, if you've gone through that experience, you know, and you get like a stomach cramp uh, out on the golf course or something from a totally unrelated event, or you're like, "Oh God, my liver's going to fall out." Yes, but a little bit gun shy. A little bit gun shy. So whenever I have some any kind of issues, yes, you start to worry about stuff. Or whenever you take anything, you know, I had we talked about um, we we talked about right before I went up to that tournament in Birmingham that I played in that first tournament a couple months ago, and I had ended up having the shingles and had that partially paralyzed face and all that. Um, yeah. You know, the doctor gave me, um, put me on steroids to help my face. Well, steroids are really bad on your liver. Now, obviously the doctor knows I have a bad liver and we discussed it before he put me on it, but then stuff like that gets in my mind. And for the next two months, I'm watching for stuff. Now I go to the doctor and I've got to go get this MRI on this. So all that kind of stuff kind of goes through your mind. Um, does the liver heal itself or does it kind of stay where it is? And then you just hope that you don't get any worse. From what I understand, it, it, a healthy liver. 
So if they, if, if let, let's say they gave me a liver transplant and gave me half a liver for some reason, a healthy liver can regenerate liver cells, but, but not an unhealthy, but one. the damaged part can't replace itself. Does that make sense? So any, yeah, anything yeah. that I have left healthy, I think you're just hoping to sustain at this point. Um, they, they never did a biopsy on it because my, um, symptoms started to improve quickly during all this. So they didn't have to do a biopsy. Um, I, I would suspect that if the MRI shows something funky, that that would be the next step. So right. Today it was kind of, the doctor didn't talk much about it today. Cause I think it's just one of those things. There's nothing to see here until there's something to see here for lack of a better analogy. You know, you know how they say we only use like I can't remember the exact number, but like ten percent of our brain. How much percentage of your liver do you need to function properly? Um, like apparently you know, not much. <laughs> <laughs> apparently not okay. much. I think I'm hanging on by a sliver. If that's the proper <laughs> terminology. You're telling me there's a chance, right? Yeah. So, yeah, we, you know, you talk about the, the thing you worry about now or the thing I worry about now, I should say, is, um, you know, anything that you any kind of disease that you might get that um, that could affect your liver. Uh, be a hepatitis being the main one. So I asked him today about hepatitis vaccines and he said, judging from my blood work, he thought I had already had the proper hepatitis vaccines because I have antibodies for it. So. Um, hmm. So just something that yeah. you don't want to happen. Yeah, at this point, if something does affect my liver that I can't control, then I'm in trouble. Um, right. You know, when when drinking destroyed my liver, I was able to quit drinking and, and right the ship, so to speak. But if something, if a disease of some sort that hits your liver first, if I were to contract that, then that could be deadly for me. It could be deadly for anybody, but it could certainly be deadly for me with the shape that my liver's in. So. Right. A lot of liver talk. But yeah, one of the reasons why we do, I, I do, wait, I always do that on the introduction, but then I do, I go right to, you know, you need to listen to episode one um, to kind of put this in perspective. Not to say that everybody's going to hit stop right then and go listen to episode one, but I think it would become redundant if I told the whole story every episode. <laughs> we might lose the last five listeners that we have. <laughs> No, we got some folks. There's like a billion people, a billion and a half people in India. And they're, if I know India, my friends from India, there's two big things there, drinking and golf. Uh, <laughs> neither of those are true. <laughs> Could be. Maybe we yeah. should move to India and open up a string of golf courses. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. Yeah. So um, it was great to have Dad on last week. The episode has done well in the uh, in the downloads, so it has already bypassed last week, uh, the week before's episode. Um, in the first seven days, actually, it was is one of the best first seven day performers we've had in a while. So, um, so that that was fun having him on. I've gotten some good comments on it. Um, I, I started to wonder if at some point you would be able to tell the difference between the three of our, our voices. But yeah, we all have a similar. Uh, way of speaking, and I, yeah, it was great to have that on. And it, it, in a lot of ways, it's, these conversations are just conversations we would have anyway. Um, and, and maybe a little deeper in some ways. Um, you know, a joke my buddy Andy was like, I always lean in a little closer when you're like, we've never talked about this before, but you know, because you know, sometimes on the podcast, we do talk about things we don't talk about in normal life, 
and uh, yeah, I enjoyed talking to Dad. You know, we've the three of us had a long um, sort of bond, and uh, it's kind of good to be on this side of it and kind of get that back together. Get the old band back together, Colin. <laughs> yeah, we'll be doing dates in Vegas soon. <laughs> so that yeah. so that leads me into the perfect subject to start with, and I and. I'm just going to preface this by saying, number one, I'm grumpy today because I spent half the day in the doctor's office and didn't get to play golf. But number two, I'm just grumpy anyway in life. And number three, this bullshit with Bryson and Brooks is the, it is complete crap. They have jumped the shark, this whole match thing. I'm sick to my stomach even looking at it. Well, fill our listeners in on what the match is. So, and, uh, November 26th, the Friday after Thanksgiving, Bryson and Brooks are going to play what they call the match number five. I, I didn't realize that there's been five of them all, already, but, you know, it started off with Phil and Tiger, I believe, was the first one. Yeah. And it was actually pay-per-view because um, I remember watching it at a bar. Right. Um, and apparently this is number five now. And as far as I know, it's just that those two playing each other and they're playing in Vegas. It's sponsored by the win or the wins names thrown in there. So whatever golf course the, the win owns or whatever their best golf course is, I imagine is what they're playing. And it, yeah, they have, they have that course out there. I can't remember what it's called, but shadow something. And, uh, and some genius, some marketing genius decided that we'll make it a 12 hole match because that's what boxing matches are, are 12 rounds. And that's where they yeah. that's where they lose me. Golf's not twelve holes. Well, it's not nine holes, really. But you could maybe get away with that a little bit. Golf's eighteen holes. You can still bill it as the match, whatever Vegas match. Twelve holes. It's completely ridiculous in my mind. Play so maybe they'll beat each other to death at golf clubs, which would be more entertaining than twelve holes of match play golf, probably. I just, I don't understand the whole 12 holes thing that reeks of me as somebody that doesn't know what the hell's going on in golf, uh, got their hands on it. And when that starts to happen, then and to me, it's, uh, you know, if you don't want to be on the course as long, although this can work both ways, if, if, if that's what your secondary excuse is, well, some of these matches have taken too long. First of all, a lot of the other matches have been two on two matches. So that does take longer, but if you if then play straight up match play where if you're four up with three to play the match is over or whatever don't just play 12 holes i don't know that whole thing and i'm not you know i'm not a golf traditionalist by any means i mean i wear cargo shorts on the golf course Corey. i just bought a hoodie i just bought a golf hoodie for this winter so i am definitely not a traditionalist but come on, twelve holes. Believe. How is twelve holes? I don't. I don't even understand. I don't even know what to say about it. It's, it. It makes me really want to cuss and call people bad names. Well, I, you know, let's. I, I'm going to digress here for a second because there was a time when, right after you got out of the hospital, when you were, uh, your personality was changed a little bit, and then you went through this honeymoon period where you were super sort of nice and delightful. I think they call and I think, I think in the slid, business they call that the pink cloud, but go ahead. Well, you slid right back into uh, position A. Like uh, we were joking, like Roy Kent from uh, Ted Lasso, which I like. It's part of your charm. I don't trust you when you're super he's nice. He's here. He's there. He's every fucking where, <laughs> Roy Kent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This irked me particularly. 
when I saw it yesterday is when the news came out about it. Um, I was at work and um, I, I, I didn't until I saw like a posterish thing and it said 12 holes at the bottom. And I was like, what in the world? And then I kind of was trying to look around for an answer. And it never says what I've said about the 12, but that's obviously what it is. I mean, I, then I had to Google. Maybe that's how many rounds they are, that they box. And that is now 12 is is technically what they use in boxing. Matches. Yeah, I'm assuming, it, you know, it does get long. I'm sure 12 holes you can fit in a nice tight three hours. And uh, it, it's golf's tough because... Playing a one-on-one match, it's hard to sit there and watch it for five hours or four and a half hours. Yeah, but, you know, really, um, pe- uh, two guys playing in golf carts, it ought to take them three hours anyway. And then they're joking around in between, but that's all. That doesn't take a whole lot of time. I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah. I think this will be the end of the match as you know it. I think that uh, Wait. I think they've jumped the shark, and I think this this will be it. This will get piss-poor ratings or, or so-so ratings, and... And we we saw how you know Bryson wasn't real TV friendly in the last one. Now he might have been a little bit uh, uh, over his head, so to speak. Well, he uh, at the risk of you know judging anyone, he seems a little socially awkward. He, he doesn't. I think that's maybe what Brooks Kepka was frustrated with. Anyway, he doesn't seem to pick up on social cues. Um, you know, super innately. So I don't know that he's, I mean, who knows? I'm sure he'll be delightful, but he's not the most TV friendly. Although he can't hit a golf ball far, and then he just did this long drive contest, which we've talked about a little bit. And I saw that he made the round of 16, but I never saw after that. He made the round of eight, and I didn't do my homework. I don't know how it finished. I think he, he I don't think he won. Obviously, we would have heard that by now. Um, yeah. I feel like I probably should have researched that, but. But, but that just goes to show you. Ah, you know, who's, who's listening to this? Well, uh, yeah, could a caller call in and tell us if he won or not? Oh, I'm sorry. This is tape delay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's great. The the one thing I think it's great that he did it because it it gives um, some attention to those long drive guys that probably that, that need that attention. Um, you know, so it, that helps their sport when a PGA tour player does well, that. Yeah, I think so. But I, you know, I look at what they do is a very unique, uh, thing to do. That's not very popular. And I always joke about opera that it's incredibly difficult and only so many people in the world can do it. And it's like women's gymnastics because people only want to watch it once every four years. So I don't know that the long drive contest is ever going to be a mainstream event, but you're right. It is nice that he kind of brought some, uh, publicity to it and participated in it. Um, yeah. Sure. I mean, I guess, you know, there's a fine line there on how much, you know, do you, do, do you want your, I mean, obviously you want your sport to get as much attention as you can, but it, there's, there's a lot, there's a gray area there somewhere where um, this, this brings in mind to me. I don't think we talked about it that much, but during the Solheim cup, I know I mentioned to you that Bubba Watson was, out there, did we, did we talk about that on the podcast? He was out there helping and stuff no, we, during the Solheim. Yeah, cup. that was separate. From but the at podcast. some point, yeah. it got to, and maybe this was just because of who I follow on Twitter. But at some point, every picture I saw on Twitter of the Solheim Cup, whether it was a team picture or three girls in the picture, Bubba Watson was in every single picture. And at some point, do right. they say, "Okay, it's great, Bubba's bringing some attention," but like this is our week. Get the hell out of the way. 
kind of right. thing. I kind of get that same yeah, feeling sure. a little bit with Bryson and this thing. Yeah, it's great. People are talking about it, but now he's done. If he doesn't do it next year, probably no one will talk about it next year. I'm sure those guys wanted to beat him, too. Yeah, I'm sure they did. I mean, yeah. For sure. So another note I have on here, Corey, to talk about is um, kind of in the on the theme of this podcast is you sent me a some information about the Tinder Bar. The book is now going to be a movie. Yeah. Why don't you talk about that book just a little bit and the movie to come? Yeah, years ago, I, I think when uh, I mean, I, I guess at that time, I mean, this is probably ten years ago at least. I would say you maybe were a problem drinker. And I read a couple books sort of on the life of drinking. And one of them was a guy by a guy named J.R. Murringer called The Tinder Bar. And it, he, you know, he's a guy that lives in New York with his mom and all of her family and the apartment. And uh, the dad had left. And basically he grew up, his uncle was a bartender in this kind of neighborhood Irish bar. And he sort of grew up in that life. And he describes it really sort of poignantly and beautifully. And, uh, you know, and he was around that. So that's sort of what he strove to be. And I I think originally I sent it to you because at that time in our life, you know, uh, I really kind of looked up to you in that sense. Like you and I, I mean, for all the bad that drinking caused, you and I had a lot of good memories of drinking together. Um, and that book was kind of him coming to terms with that. And eventually, at the end of the book, he, he stopped drinking. Um, but a really well-written autobiography that kind of reads like fiction and meant something to us. And then all these years later, suddenly, you know, I don't even know if I've ever heard anyone else mention the book. But now, suddenly, there's a movie coming out. And it has a really great cast attached to it. And it's a great story and a great uh, sort of set and a great scene in New York. and. Uh, yeah, I loved it. And there were a few other books around that that we kind of talked about then. Um, and, I, and I think maybe that was not long before you stopped drinking the first time. So that's kind of a maybe a meaningful book to read. But um, yeah, I can't recommend the book highly enough. I think that was after I started originally going to AA. And, but, and I actually did, the you know, I'm not a big reader, as you know. Dad's probably laughing right now as he's listening to this. I am not a big reader. And that is actually one of the books I've read and, and enjoyed. Um, and I did re- I did find myself probably the most that I read was the first couple attempts at AA to really quit drinking. And, and most of them were, were, were stuff like that. Or, um, but, but yeah, that was a fantastic book. And I, I think it, it touches on... And maybe this is where the drinking and life comes into this podcast, but um, drinking is a lifestyle, can be a lifestyle for people. And yeah. especially in the, in, before it becomes a, a ginormous problem. Um, and, and that's kind of what that book touches on that this whole, this guy's whole life really was revolved around this bar, even from the time he was a kid. Right. Um, and until it all, it, it, I'm not, I'm not trying to give away the ending of the book, but until it all ends semi-tragically, um, he, he ends up, he ends up yeah. being fine, but a lot of the characters that he grew up with and, um, people that he knew did not end up fine. And he kind of sees the, you know, he, he sees what, what, what everybody who stays in that lifestyle long enough ends up seeing. 
And it's that um, that a lot of these people who are wh- whether they were um, as successful in their jobs as you thought they were when you first met them, they either weren't or or ended up be- not being because of their lifestyle. Does, it, does that make sense? I, I can remember. Yeah, so yeah. For, you know, sure. I, I can remember um, a friend showing up to the bar. I hung, on tap in Birmingham on 280, I hung out at a lot. And um, yeah. you don't realize until somebody comes in, uh, uh, Jeff Lowry brought his wife in. She happened to be meeting him there one day or whatever. And Jeff and Steven and Robbie would, would come meet occasionally, but they weren't in there near as much as I was mostly. And it was just one of those afternoons or evenings where, it, it just all set up perfectly, but but it made me realize I, I it, when she came in, j- people were used to seeing Jeff there, but she came in, I think I just got there, and we walked down the bar looking for a seat, and every single person at the bar acknowledged, hey, Colin, what's up, Colin, about time you got here, Colin, all that, almost to where the where it was embarrassing in front of her, for me. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, boy, this isn't your first yeah, time yeah. here, is it? But 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 it becomes a little bit of a lifestyle in those people. A lot of times, if you hang out at the same bar, which is what a lot of drinkers do, you become friends with these people, and sure. um, and 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 even friends to the point where you hang out with them sometimes outside the bar, and and even people you can call if you have a flat tire. I'm not sure there are people you can call if you need a kidney, but um. The, <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, one of the guys I lived with when I first got separated was a was what I would call a bar friend. And I lived with him for six months. So they become more than just bar friends sometimes. And and they don't necessarily last forever, but it it is a it's a whole it is a lifestyle. And and it's a it's a way from um, seemingly not being lonely. Maybe ending up lonely at the end, because I don't I don't think those. I mean, you you can't. I don't know. You, I guess you can live that lifestyle your whole life, but um, you just have to be a lot, a lot more patient at drinking part of it than I was. Well, a couple things about that. You know, I, you're right in that book, um, and I think the movie has like Ben Affleck attached and some other famous Scott. You're right. All you know, you live your first half of your life sort of figuring things out, and it's like going up the hill on the roller coaster, and then suddenly you make that turn and you're going down the hill. And stuff can unravel quickly. And for all those guys and all those regulars in that bar, you're right. You start to, if you live that lifestyle long enough, you start to lose relationships and jobs and meaningful quality of life. And, you know, even at on tap where you went, I don't want to say people's names, but I remember, uh, I'll just use first names, Tony, the bartender, I knew well. And Brian, yeah. um, you know, just when I would come to town and sit there. And you and I always had that kind of, you know, uh, you know, we're brothers and we're close. So we always enjoyed talking to people and, uh, you know, there's a lot of bonding that goes on in there, but is it, is it necessary? Is it the thing that you have to do? Um, drinking is very ceremonial in a way. Um, but once you start to, once it starts to tip that scale and become unhealthy, you know, it's, if you don't put on the brakes, um, it can go downhill quickly. That's what happens. <laughs> yeah, I could have mentioned that to you like eight years ago. <laughs> but it yeah. wouldn't have mattered. You you could have met, you could have mentioned it. I mean, <laughs> I think I knew where it was all going, but you you know, you you 
like you do in all facets of your life, you live in a bit of denial. Um, it won't happen to me or it's not going to happen for a while. Um, and, and, you know, quite frankly, if it could have been limited to just the bar stops and not all the in-between, it probably would have been fine. And truly, you know, they say you don't change unless it's your decision. I mean, you still stand by that. There's nothing someone could have said. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, you're right. Never mind. I'm sorry. Uh, you're right. I drink too much. I should probably quit. No, there's nothing anybody could have said or done. I mean, not even myself. Right. Really. Oh, except for imminent death. And it, and it almost, and I've said this before, it wasn't even imminent death. It was imminent painful death. <laughs> I mean, yeah. so, yeah, I mean, it, you know, I knew all the, I, I'd been through enough AA and enough stuff and read enough books and I knew where it was going and I knew um, what to do if you wanted to quit. It just, it wasn't, it didn't work for me and, and. Um, as much as parts of me wanted it to work, parts of me didn't want it to work either. I, I know that's right. not stupid, but it's just, that's just how your mind works. And it really yeah. didn't even occur to me that, that, that I might have cirrhosis, although it wasn't surprising once I did, but, but I don't know why it didn't occur to me other than the fact that you just don't want it to be that. Um, you know, it's funny because there's a the at the last bar that I hung out at in Birmingham, there was a bartender and looking back now, he was I liked him, but he was always really I mean, he was moody, bad. And I mean some sometimes he'd just be real freaking moody. I mean, just mean, angry kinda moody. And um it wasn't he died about a year ago of cirrhosis of the liver. I didn't oh, even really? know he had it. Um, but yeah. And so, and he was, he was just, he wasn't that much older than me. I mean, he was probably in his early fifties. Did he drink at work? Not that I'm aware of. And I think it was one of those things where he wasn't even supposed to, eh, maybe he did drink at work. I do remember seeing him drink some. It was one of those bars that, that you could drink at work if you didn't overdo it if you didn't make an ass out of yourself, because there was one bartender there who I really liked and he wasn't allowed to drink in there <laughs> because he would make an ass of himself. Yeah. It was that kind of thing. So, um, right. But you just never know with somebody and, and, um, seemingly this guy had his life together. Those guys at that place made good money with a really good solid of regulars. And, um, um, and now he's dead. So, I, I, I wouldn't have guessed that out of that crowd of people that were in there, but you, you, you just, um, you never know. And I guess the longer you, you live and, and are in touch with that lifestyle, the, the more that becomes a deal. You know, drinking badly is like the inverse of being sober, because in some ways you just say to yourself, like, I'm only going to drink today. Tomorrow I'll stop. If I if I just drink one more day, I'm, I won't, you know, kill myself. And so then you start doing that every day uh, versus the inverse where you're like, I'm not going to drink today. I can at least do one day. Right. Does that does that ring true? I think true? so. And I think at some points from, from some of the stuff that I've read and been introduced to, at some point your body takes over and it, it, it and it needs it on a level that, that's, that's not mental anymore. And I don't mean just just from the 
it, it is partially mental, but not, not just from the physical craving of, of, of your hand shaking and stuff like that. But at some point you you just get, you, your body just needs it. And, and it's, it's going to trick your mind into getting it no matter which way. Um, and, and then that, right. the, 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 the sounds like there's this internal battle going on in your head every day. There's really not, or there wasn't for me. I mean, you just, I shouldn't say that there were at times in my life there was, but then it, it, then it got yeah. knocked in. There was no internal battle. It was just going to happen because we've talked about it in other podcasts about being around family at holidays. Once I wasn't supposed to be drinking around people. And it, it, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird situation to be in as a grown man that you're not allowed to do certain things around people. <laughs> I mean, and, right. and it's, it's, um, it's difficult on many levels. You mean even still or just no, not now. To... I mean, but when I was a, a grown man and I could have said either, you know, F you, I'm going to do what I want. And if, if you don't like it, I just won't be here. Now, I never took it yeah. that far, um, but that that's what's going on in your mind. You know, 42 years well, old. Who are you to you tell know, me? You know, especially because at some point, some of this stuff was at my own house. Yeah, for sure. But, it is, you know, as a family member, there is sort of an awkward etiquette. Because, you know, if your family members are friends with someone that's a severe alcoholic, and there has been times when they open up and suddenly the mask comes uncovered and they say, like, oh, my God, I have a serious problem. I don't want to live like this the rest of my life. This is awful. What have I done? And then, you know, the mask flips back down. They're like, no, I think I can drink. I'll be fine. Then in your mind, you're like, mm, I don't know about that. And then, you know, so then when you're around them or you at the time, you're already kind of on guard and you feel sort of awkward. And like, you know, when you were, uh, not to bring up old shit, as we like to say, but when, when mom rented that house for Thanksgiving a few years ago in Pensacola uh-huh. Beach, when we all came out there, you know, there was like, there was a little bit of like, oh, I feel uncomfortable about this. I know he's drinking. Uh, I want this to be normal, but he doesn't seem to be in a great way and not in a horrible way. But, you know, there's a, some conflicting. You want things to be normal and everyone else is drinking. Uh and then there's just a sort of a disconcerting feeling. Did you feel that at the time? No, I mean, just I like... just, uh, I, I felt like I, 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 I think I kept it pretty between the lines there. If anything, you could say maybe I went to bed early each night, but that was also because I didn't want to get rip roaring drunk. You know, I basically had two speeds, either drinking or sleeping. So right. a, a lot of times in, in that situation, we were all staying in the same house. I would choose sleep rather than. Um, then stay up in some of the wild activities. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, there was, you know, I, I, you know, I wanted to make sure I wasn't drinking anybody else's stuff ever. And I wanted to make sure nobody ever saw me pouring anything out of respect. You know, I didn't want to be that person who's just going to make a big scene out of it and say, I'm going to do whatever the hell you guys want to do, or I'm going to do whatever the hell I want to do. And if you guys don't like it, then I'll just leave. I, 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 ne- I never wanted to take it to that place with anybody sure and, and uh, you know i don't think that now oh, i shouldn't speak for most people but i don't think most people want to do that you get to a certain point in this disease where you just want to you just want to be invisible <laughs> you, you just want to fly between the 
between the lines and and not cause any waves and and you know if you if you think about most family functions especially after i um admitted and started trying to seek help i i, I did do that i get, kept it between the lines i don't think you can call out a family holiday yeah. situation if you can they were probably in the earlier days before back when we were just young and idiots but but i can't even remember any of that really much of that yeah at some point you it's all uncomfortable i mean you don't want to have to be sneaking stuff around but you don't want to you know you don't want to especially when you're at somebody else's house or or, or whatever you, you don't want to be uh, you know i don't know you don't want to be trying to prove a point by saying i'm a grown man and i can do whatever i want i mean i i do have we we have oh we all have kids around now so it was nothing that ever right you know it was yes it was awkward at best. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's you know, fair. And there was one morning on that, that Thanksgiving in Pensacola where I got up and was out and had to go, I had to run to the store and get some stuff. And luckily there was a liquor store right down the street that opened at like nine o'clock. I mean, I had to get cigarettes and some other stuff anyway, but, and then I'm frigging, you know, down a drink as fast as I can get back. So my hands stop shaking. Right. So it was that kind of stuff because it 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 begins to it becomes a pain in the ass and it becomes a little bit of a full time job. You just like you do anything in life, you you manage it after a while, or you know, I guess some. You know, look, I I am fortunate the way things worked out for me because I didn't die, um, and now I've quit drinking. But there are certainly a lot of people that have had this disease that have been much stronger than I was and were able to go through the proper treatment and eventually quit. Now, some of those people had to go through right. treatment multiple times. Um, some of those people probably quit after the first time. Some of those people quit without going through treatment. Um, so I, I'm certainly not trying to rep, uh, present myself as the poster boy for kicking this disease because I tried to let it kill me every which way I possibly could. And, um, and, sure. and, and so, it, you know, I didn't, I, uh, I was very fortunate that it wasn't that it wasn't the end of me and and it still might be i mean i'm still i'm still not not because i'll start drinking again but i've done damage enough to my body and that's why i have to have an mri, MRI. Which, by the way if any of you out there have had an mri lately talk about the most medieval contraption it's like they invented that night is that where you have to sit in they there they stick you in this tube forever? and it's loud they try to put a head. Have you had yeah, one? Yeah, I've yet? had a couple. One, one. I think one for my liver, and one when I, um, one when I tore my shoulder when I first came back to work. There, it's ridiculous. I mean, it is medieval. I'm not scared of them. They're just a pain in the ass. Some people can't do them because they just physically can't do it. I mean, you got to sit in this little tube. It's dark. Um, it's loud. It's like somebody is beating a wrench on it constantly. That's what it sounds. I mean, it's literally like they've been in this in 1960 and have not upgraded the technology since then. With all the shit we can do in the world today, I'm telling you, everybody out there shaking their head right now who's had an MRI recently, it's just not fun. So anyway, I got that to look forward to. That's crazy. Yeah, right. So, Corey, we talked a little bit last week about your Detroit thing. Let's let's give you some opera talk here. That was a really insane thing to do. And, uh, you know, normally with the performance, you sort of, you gear yourself up for, you know, you have a show at 8 o'clock. So you, you wake up, you try to wake up late. 
And then there's a the whole regimen. You know, you want to feel good at, you know, you show up to the theater at 6.30 and you get into makeup and costume. And by the time you go on at 7.30 or 8, you want to feel rested and energetic and all that. And so it was a little daunting. Like, how do you prepare energy-wise and voice-wise to start a show at noon and end at midnight? Um, and so that was kind of an unknown factor. And I just, uh, all I could do was try to keep my voice pretty healthy and drink a lot of flu, you know, Powerade Zero. I was drinking a lot the whole week before trying to stay hydrated and, you know, rested. And uh, it was a weird thing because we had different positions each hour. So different parts of the, the set was two set pieces, one kind of traditional opera set and then another uh, platform with a table and chairs where we had a couple meals and then there was like turf that they got off of an NFL football field around these two platforms that was our playing space and so that was our for 12 hours uh, we could use all of that space so for hour one we were on the main platform hour two the soprano opposite me and I were just alone at the table and hour three we all had lunch and hour four we were back at the main platform the soprano and I so we had kind of an art to it and there was Six hours, we did different six different positions, and then they started over, and then we did the same six positions for the next six hours. So you could kind of mark the time by, okay, if I can get through this hour, then I'll get to sit at that table for a little while and eat lunch, and then after that, I'll have some energy. Uh, but it's hard to describe mentally what it's like to just stand there and sing the same thing at noon. And the same thing at 11.50 p, you know, p.m. Um, and it wasn't as bad as I thought in some ways. But I was joking. You know, I only I tried very hard to seem like it was no big deal. I took two breaks, one at five and one at a little after nine, both for like 15 minutes. And I tried to be very, oh, yeah, it's great. I'm no problem for me. You know, I can do this all day, literally. And uh, but starting about 10 p.m., I started to get really tired mentally and then vocally i think i said i can't remember if i said this but i was using like we had a basket with some stuff in it and a bottle of water that we could use like a wine glass and and i was using sour patch kids i would tuck it between my cheek and my gum and it would just produce a little saliva to keep things you know going and it right right around 9 30 i sucked like a half of one of those down my throat and i started to have to cough it up and once that happened my voice was like all right i'm out that's enough for me. And how long did you have left? And so then I had like two hours and 15 minutes left. So the time from 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. was the longest hour of my entire life. Like, I just thought, oh, God, I'm tired. My body, every time I started singing, my body was like, do not sing. Like, my instinct was like, you know, it'd be like if you uh, had an arm injury and you're trying to throw a baseball. Like, oh, don't do this. And I felt really tired and really kind of fatigued. and But I just kept doing it. And I didn't think I was doing any permanent damage, thank God. And then once 11 o'clock hit, I thought, oh, all right, I can make it to an hour. And then the crowd started, you know, between 11 and 12, probably with 45 minutes to go. Every time we finished one of the rotations of three minutes, the crowd started cheering and clapping. And so then it was a little easier and uh I mean, at one point, I think the countess, the soprano that's opposite me and I were just kind of holding each other up. And we did that for, you know, probably 10 minutes. And then it was it. That was it. I finished. 
and they brought champagne on stage and the crowd went crazy, which was very gratifying after that. They day. were so happy it joked, was finally over. I keep saying, <laughs> I noticed people in the middle of the day were like uh, wiping away tears. And I was like, they're literally bored to tears. We keep just singing the same thing over and they're bored to tears. Um, but so I, I peed twice between noon and midnight. And then when I took my costume off and I put my street clothes on and I walked home, I probably had a 10 minute walk to my hotel in Detroit. And uh, suddenly I was walking like an old man, like my feet, or I had boots on all day and a costume and I was like incredibly sore. And then when I got home, you know, I kind of laid in bed and then between 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. I peed approximately 17 times. <laughs> That's more so, like the Corey I know. Yeah. It's just, it was a very, uh, it's a strange thing to do. Like if you tell anyone outside the opera world, like even people inside the opera world, like you did that. Why? Like, I just thought it was, uh, I can't call it fun, certainly, but what the hell, you know, it was kind of a interesting thing to be a part of. It was a really cool space. It was old theater in Detroit that hasn't had any live performance in over 50 years. Um, and so it, it, the the setting was cool. I think the people of Detroit liked it and, you know, just trying to do different things for the people. But uh, it was certainly an interesting experience. And uh, what kind of feedback know, have you heard I, uh, about it? Well, they haven't. If, if you're on uh, if you're on Instagram, you can go to hashtag Detroit Bliss, hashtag Detroit Bliss. And they're they have all these videos of uh, fans that were in the audience or patrons. Um, and they would just record videos or, you know, they encouraged them to take pictures or video and they just uploaded it. And people thought it was really cool. You know, a lot of people, you know, matter of fact, the next day, so I, I keep joking, uh, speaking of golf drinking and life, someone said, I got back to Pensola on, uh, Monday. And someone's like, are you tired? I was like, well, yes, because I sang for 12 hours on Saturday and then I drank for 12 hours on Sunday. So I'm particularly tired now. Well, I'm glad that all went well. I was a little, um, you know, whenever you do anything for 12 hours, it's a long time. I mean, I'm, I'm not comparing myself yeah. to you, but I, my, the way my schedule works, I basically work 12-hour shifts. 12 hours is a long time. I don't care what you're doing. Just, just, let's put it in our terms. Think about sitting at a bar for 12 hours and drinking. That's a long time to even do that, although I'm sure I've managed it. Yeah, I've managed it before, but yeah, yeah. anybody out there, whatever you like to do, think about doing it for 12 hours. It's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. So I'm glad it all went well. Yeah, it was certainly, you know, a, a lot of the thing I've enjoyed about being a performer is there's a lot of interesting life experiences, and that was certainly ranks up there. Um, it was kind of a crazy thing to do. I want to uh, congratulate my boss, Lawrence Auer. He played in the uh, – our PGA chapter championship on Monday and Tuesday, and he finished third. He was the defending champion from last year. Um, this is in the uh, senior division he's in now, which is 50 and up. Um, so that was good play. And also Michael Brisbane, who's our director of instruction at Isaiah City. Um, he shot 69 the first round, three under. He did not play as well the second round, but that was a heck of a good first round there, Michael. So Congratulations to both of them. And um, if you're in the Mobile area or, or the surrounding area and you're looking for lessons, Michael Brisbane is a good one to contact him or Shirley Yeager. They do most of our 
teaching at Isaiah City, and both of them are very good. You can call the golf course to schedule a lesson with them. Um, I'm sure I could use those uh, services. Oh, I'll take care of you, Corey. Don't worry. You're about due for a lesson. When are you going to come over <laughs> and play? Yeah, I should. Uh, next week. Yep. How about that? Kinda Did you watch any of the uh, Tom Brady-Bill Belichick um, matchup there on Sunday night? Uh, just a little bit of that it. It was actually yeah. the probably, you know, it's for me, for NFL, besides maybe playoffs and Super Bowl, there's not very many regular season games that I'll actually turn on. I mean, I'll have them on at work and watch some of them. Um, but this one, I was already off work and I was at home and I actually turned it on and kind of watched it in and out of sleep. Um, I didn't exactly see the end, but obviously I saw the highlights the next day. It was a pretty good game. And, um, obviously Tom Brady got the win just barely 19 to 17. I think they, they, the Patriots missed a last second field goal. Although a lot of second guessing about that. It was a 56 yard field goal into the wind while it was raining. They thought that Belichick maybe should have gone for it on fourth and three or whatever it was that he probably would have if he had had Tom Brady. But but give all the props oh, yeah. to Mac good Jones. Game, he had a really good game, and um, I think he he even though they lost, Mac Jones kind of won in that game because I think he won his team over. Mac Jones is from Alabama and is a rookie, uh, the quarterback for the Patriots, and living in a pretty large shadow of of Tom Brady. So. Um, that was that was a good game for him. I think. I mean, it, it's at some point, yeah. Mac Jones is playing great, much better than like Trevor Lawrence and some of the other rookie quarterbacks. But it does make you wonder, like at some point. I mean, Tom Brady's playing on borrowed time. Like you're not, you've ne- you don't have brain injury. You're not paralyzed. You've won. I don't know seven Super Bowls or however like, many. Why not like, hang it up before you get crushed? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's time to just ride off. It's 44. I agree. I thought uh, last year after winning that Super Bowl with Tampa, that would have been the way to do it. Yeah. I mean, now you've switched teams. You won the Super Bowl. Here's the finger to everybody, not everybody in Boston. And I, I it doesn't look like he has ill feelings for Belichick. Um, you know, maybe it was – it was maybe he takes it was just business. He, he's probably, quite frankly, after he – it might be a different story if he went to Tampa and they were – Three and three and thirteen, and and he got beat to death last year. But you know he's probably having more fun in Tampa now, kind of getting out of Belichick's shadow slash oh, I, system. Hey, and also, yeah, you think he didn't hold his head high when he walked into Gillette Stadium in Boston, in uh, New England, and you know, oh yeah, I won the Super Bowl last year. What you guys do? Um, yeah, he kind of righted all those wrongs. He doesn't have to be. Well, angry. I think the fans gave him a great reception and then did what they were supposed to do. They Then they booed him when he when he actually came out on field first time to play. When he came out of the tunnel, they right. cheered him, and then when it got to game time, they booed him, which is how fans ought to be. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I, I think that was all good. I think, every, it, you know, Belichick and Brady hugged at the end. You know, they were taking bets on Dan Patrick on whether it was going to be a handshake or a hug, was going to be pregame or postgame. Um, all that stuff. So it was, uh, yeah, it was it, it was pretty cool. Whenever you're talking about a, a week four NFL um, game, the way this one was talked about, it's it bring it's fun. It's exciting for the sport and sports in general. Yeah, unlike absolutely. this twelve hole bullshit match we're about to have to watch. I'm probably <laughs> going to boycott it. And when I say boycott it, I mean like oh, I'm going to be outside it. the golf course with a sign on a 
poster board and a stick. Another, if we're talking about uh, drinking books, there's another great book called uh, A Drinking Life by Pete Hamill. And it's also kind of a not unlike the Tinder Bar, like a New York hard scrabble drinking life. Story. I think I read that one too. Uh, Pete, refresh me. I think I, yeah, I think I, you know, he was, uh, you know, a kid and, you know, like queen, uh, and, uh, just him growing up and then he became a writer. And then eventually I think he was, he was like the editor of the New York post. So famous New York journalist and, uh, you know, Taylor's old time started drinking too much. Who was the, started drinking which early. book was the one that the guy that wrote running with scissors, Oh yeah, that was Augustine Burroughs. Um what? and that book was called um I don't know it's been called it was called Dry. That book was Augustine that book Burroughs. was good. Yeah, that, was that, good. for for those of you out there that want to see a different insight into what the mind can do to you and and the way you act when you have got a drinking problem, that's a pretty good one. It's a it's a little bit out there, but it's 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 pretty realistic though. He's pretty. He's pretty yeah, open about I, everything in that. It's it's that was a good read. Yeah, it was not to be confused with a million little pieces, which even like I think I read that, and then I suggested to you, and you read, and you were like, "No way, any <laughs> of this shit happened." That's impossible. I did. I did. You know, and it turns out the guy just totally actually. You know, the sad thing is he shot that book as fiction, and no one would buy it. And then he kind of repackaged it as an autobiography, and then all these publishers were interested yeah. in it. So, but you know, it says he got gets on an airplane and he's like drunk with blood all over he's him. Missing, he's and missing he teeth on the air. Wakes up missing yeah. teeth, with blood all over his shirt, and so the real story is he had two vodka and tonics in the crown room and fell asleep on the <laughs> yeah. plane or something like. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah, that was a good read, though, and then it was unfortunate to find out that it was all basically fake. Anyway, a lot to talk well, about reading today. Ah, what has this podcast come to? It's the book it's of the month. Ridiculous. <laughs> we've, we've lost right, our man. edge, Corey, and not that well. That would mean oh, yeah. that we ever had an edge. But um, send any questions or comments to golfdrinkinglife at gmail dot com. Um, you can follow me at Colin McKern on Twitter. Corey, anything else you want to add? That's it. Always a pleasure. Thanks to our listeners in 347,000 states and uh, more countries than that. Yeah, Thank thanks you. to our listeners. And I just want to put this in everybody's ear. If you guys could all really push this episode hard, because if this episode were to explode right after we had our father on the last episode, then it would be all because of him and we could, you know, really pump him up there, people. So all right, Cor. All right. Yeah. Yep. Take care. You just gotta keep living, man. L I V I N. Mm-hmm.